1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, these, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for common good. For, no, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Well, we begin today uh, a very important section and uh, a lot of different opinions in this area. Uh, it's over definitions and different other things we'll look at. By the way, we're trying, uh, I think you can hear me plenty well there. We, we brought our sound way down. We want you to beg for us to raise it. And, but they caught it there because last week we were uh, even low in the speaking, but uh, Chris has got it there. So we, we're dealing with sound issues. Well, we know that we won't correct it until we put insulation on these walls because you can't control bouncing sound waves. But we're trying, and in the meantime, keep buying earplugs if it's trusted. But we are not ignoring you. We, we are trying to figure it out. Now, listen to everything I have to say. We want to uh, look today at uh, Paul. He's dealing with church issues and questions that have come up. Let's take the setting, 50 AD. I plant a church in the city of Corinth where, if you're a Gentile, you grew up at pagan temples. He's writing from the city of Ephesus. Ephesus had a leading, one of its leading gods was Dionysus, who was the god that also said, I'm only worshiped when you're drunk. And so they were used to being out of their head, being ecstatic, carried away in temple worship. These people have been worshipers for a long time. They've just been pagan worshipers. So as they come into their church meetings, various activities are happening. And he's teaching them, this is an early epistle, and he's teaching them what's correct, how to evaluate a service, how to know what's in order, what's not. And this chapter, right through chapter 14, is saying how to keep the house in order while we're displaying spiritual gifts. And so he's totally for spiritual gifts. He just wants there to be order, wants there to be balance. And so he's writing to them. Uh, 
There's a debate that runs with conservatives, and it's all over the board. Some say uh, all gifts have ceased, okay? And in a lot of churches, they have. There's no evidence anybody's doing anything. I don't care what gift you got. Uh, I don't know you have it till you use it. Amen? So don't tell me about your gifts while you bury them. Uh, so there's a lot of you that are cessationists. You buried yours years ago. But Christ has given gifts and is giving gifts to his church, and we want to find out what this exciting truth is all about. The first three verses, we want to consider uh, that he deals with the measure of true spirituality. How do we know if someone is truly in the spirit in whatever they do? Then we want to look at the true source of spiritual gifts, and we see that it's Trinitarian, and he emphasizes three different aspects of being gifted. And then we'll begin the variety of lists, and this is always where you distinguish different views by how we define the gift. And uh, I'm sure mine will be as fallible as the rest, but I'll give you my best shot, okay? Uh, listen here, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. And it is amazing how long the church world was uninformed. They didn't know anything. Well, the uh, breaking out of Pentecostalism in the early 1900s, the growth of the charismatic movement, and I'd have to say even uh, the Plymouth Brethren movement that emphasized lay involvement, that emphasized that all the people of God are gifted. They brought a great emphasis to the church because we always seem to be tending towards clergyism and the laity watch. Uh, let's get a few professionals on the platform and critique how good they serve us. That, that's the tendency, because you don't have to do anything but be a good critic. And once in a while, brag on us and, and cough a little bit during the sermon. That kind of helps us know you're awake. But it never answers what has God designed you for. How is God using you? And that's what Pentecostalism, charismatic movement, and other movements like the Brethren movement that was not charismatic brought a great emphasis to the church and Many conservatives, I, I never went to one school uh, that didn't believe we had spiritual gifts today. We might differ on the list that's around today, but they all said, we've all got spiritual gifts. Some of you've got gifts we wonder about, but we've all got them. We've all got them. But he picks up something in verse 2. You know that you were pagans. You were led astray to mute idols however you were led. And the word led astray there had the idea that they were into ecstatic utterances, ecstatic meetings, uh, kind of, uh, uh, what would you say, transcendent. They had meetings where uh, they were blowing their mind. That's the only term I, they, they were out there. They, they got caught up in, in, in the pagan worship, kind of like uh, uh, the prophets of Baal, jumping on the altar, cutting themselves, so he said, some of you have been worshiping idols for a long time. You've been used to getting carried away in ecstatics and not saying tongues. Just you were 
caught away, you were high, you were just uh, in an, a fringy in your pagan worship, but you were worshiping gods that couldn't even talk. You were, you were fervent in worship to gods that didn't exist. So you know how to get whipped up. You, you've been doing that for a long time. The idols can get you whipped up. But I'm talking about not idols, but worship of the true and living God. Then he says, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Now that's very interesting because uh, there was a Gnostic teaching that was growing and that was in full-blown prominence by the time John wrote 1 John. And Gnosticism claimed superior light, superior knowledge, and they had a heresy going around that Jesus Christ, the God in Jesus, left him on the cross. That he was God in the flesh, but on the cross, his deity departed so that what, the only thing left on the cross was his humanity. And according to Deuteronomy, anything hung upon a tree is under a divine curse. And so some would say he's the cursed of God and not even full deity. Uh, in the meeting, when you would have ecstatics, maybe even the tongues of the day, some people just said you could just say anything in the meeting, and, and as long as you're high, as long as you're in an emotional frenzy, and all as long as you're doing, it doesn't matter what you say. Just get carried away. And in the meeting, obviously, some people were saying Jesus is accursed. He wouldn't have used this. It's been reported. Some of you is under, you say, the influence of the Spirit are saying things that are not true of Jesus Christ. So he says, hey, true spirituality is first concerned with the content of what you say about Jesus Christ. All spirituality is measured by what thank ye of Christ. I don't care what gift you claim. I'm a prophet, so what? What do you think of Christ? He's not God. You're a prophet, all right. You're a false prophet. You can be a prophet and be false, right? You can be a spirit and not be God's spirit. There's a lot of spirits in the world. So he goes on to say that no one can negatively say he's a curse except by the spirit, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Anybody can say a formula, but he's saying this, a true from the heart confession. Jesus is Lord. He said, that is a divine product of the Spirit of God. Let me talk to you a little bit about spirituality. Today, you know, everybody in California is spiritual, especially when they're on marijuana. You can get real spiritual. And baby... I don't know where I am, but I feel it. I, I'm on another level. So, yes, you are. When would you come down? Because it's cool. You talk to people of all stripes. 
How's your, I've had people say, how's your spirituality? And I said, well, I don't know. No, I, I hadn't thought about it. Because uh, look at this wonderful, clear American dictionary definition. The state, quality, manner, a fact of being spiritual. Duh. What did they just say? Duh. What's spiritual? Uh, the state, quality, manner. And this will help you. The clergy. And some of you are in doubt. The church or the cleric? Clergy. Something such as property or revenue. Well, all churches think money is spiritual. Give it. That belongs to the church. You know what's missing? There's no divine person mentioned here that's spirit. It's a state or quality of being subjectively spiritual. To be spiritual biblically is to be related to the right spirit. I'm under the influence. I'm under the control of the right spirit. We'd call it spirit control, spirit filling. The spirit of Jesus is working in me. Because you must know, the early church often had its meetings invaded by demonized people. The pagan world was full of demon worshipers. When they went to the idol's temple, there was a demon behind the idol. So what would th us make us think the worshiper wasn't demonized? They're coming into the Corinthian church. They were coming into the uh, churches that John, the apostle, pastored. And they were saying, uh, Jesus did not come in the flesh. And John says, that's an antichrist in your midst. They're antichrist. You've got to know about Christ. If anyone denies he did not come in the flesh, is antichrist. If they deny he is not coming again in the flesh, they're antichrist. They're spiritual. They're as spiritual as the maniac of Gadara. They're under the influence of demonic teaching. And in the last days, 1 Timothy 4 says, the doctrines of demons shall invade the church, disrupting marriage. Is marriage being disrupted in our country? We don't know what marriage is. Uh, it's easier to shack up and get married, and then it's easier to uh, marry your boyfriend than it is to marry a woman. We're so messed up. Whoever messed up our categories, doctrines of demons, we're being demonized in the culture. We're demonized at the voting booth. We're demonized in the legislation. Now be sure that people under the influence of a demon don't take over your meeting. What think ye of Jesus Christ? Is he a curse or is he Lord? And it's interesting among Christians. I don't hear a lot of Christians call him Lord. Uh, you know, maybe the enduring term is Savior. As I'm studying this, he is called Savior 10 times in the New Testament. He's called Lord 700 times. Hmm. He's my Savior. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, can, is it anything else? Uh, 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 the mark, the epitome doctrinal statement for Christianity in the first century was one statement. Is Nero Lord or is Jesus Christ Lord? 
And the wrong answer can cost you your life. If you say Nero is Lord, you're spared. If you say Jesus is Lord, we're going to kill you. Now, what does Lord mean? He said in John, or rather Romans 10, that if we believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, and we confess with the mouth that he is Lord, and that it has the idea, several ideas. The word Lord was a little word, kurios, and it was the word that was said in the Old Testament Greek language they called the Septuagint. He, it was the word they used for Jehovah, Yahweh. We say Jehovah, we say Yahweh, because it is known as something they call tetragrammaton. The laterals were there, but no vowels. So the Jews could, never knew exactly how to pronounce it. They knew the main letters. But they were afraid of mispronunciation, so they were forbidden to say it, but they could write it. But when they brought it over into spoken language, especially when the Jews were in the Greek world, they picked this term, kurios, Lord. And it meant the equivalent of the Old Testament, Jehovah. So to call Jesus Lord is to call him God. But implied in one called Lord is mastery, ownership. I am a subordinate to a Lord. Lord was used of even the term husband. Sarah called her husband Lord, not deity. It was just one of the words they used to call a husband then. But here we're taking any man who calls Jesus Lord, deity, master, in charge, that statement to be true in them was prompted by the Spirit. Now, Jesus said there will be a crowd that will come before him in the last day that is religious right down to their fingernails, and they'll come to him claiming their credentials, and their credentials as they know what to call him. Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not healed in your name? And he said, I never did know you. You're using a name that you don't even know. You're just full of religiosity. And he used it in Luke 6. You call me Lord and Master, but you don't do what I tell you. So the measurement of him being your Lord is you do what he says. There's no Christian who will not obey him. My sheep follow me, and another they won't follow. If there's no followership in you, it's because you may be religious, but you're not his yet. Sheep follow. Disciples follow. We acknowledge somebody else is in charge of me. I serve not myself. I'm a slave to a majestic master. Jesus is Lord. He's to be Lord over everything, my body, my finance, my future, my ministry. Wait, wait. We must get it straight. No man can say he is Lord and it be true except the Holy Spirit prompted. He is the measure of all spiritualities. What do you think of Christ? Don't tell me about your gifts. Don't tell me about your latest prophecy. Don't tell me about your latest miracle. Tell me what think you of Christ. 
And that's the ID mark when you meet a new believer and you're mixing it up in a fellowship. What you want to go for is what's your spiritual gift? You don't want to ask that. You want to say, what thank you of Christ? Well, he's nice. Uh, he's my spirituality. Uh, I haven't heard anything yet. He's what? Uh, well, he's making me prosperous. Well, Santa Claus is supposed to do that. I said, who is he? Demons know who he is. They were never mistaken about who he was, even though they didn't know him as master. They wouldn't bow, but they knew he was the sovereign that made them. Is it not amazing you could be made by God and still hate God and still resist God? Because the folly of our sin is we are experts at choosing lesser than God. We'll worship almost anything other than the true and living God. A snake looks good in India. Kiss the head of a cobra and be a worshiper. Worship a calf. Worship an animal. Worship a pagan idol and in the Greek that cannot talk. So he can never answer my prayer, could never have a relationship but I'll give my children, my money, my sacrifices to a piece of stone that can't even talk to me rather than the true and living God. But he says, we measure all spirituality by Jesus is Lord. Now, that's a haunting question in our heart. Uh, is he? Is he your Lord? He's Lord if you never amen it. He's Lord. I mean, that's what he is. Uh, but have you come to recognize him? He's Lord of my life. He's not a rabbit's foot. He's not a Santa Claus. He's not a little uh, uh, bailout parachute every time uh, I have a gripe about life. He's Lord. He's the boss. He's the owner. He's the master. Why do people get upset when we say, well, I know a lot of Christians he's not. Well, I'm just bold to say, I know a lot of folks that say they're Christians that aren't anything. Because we're Americans, and American Christianity often is the furthest thing from biblical Christianity. What matters is who Jesus is. That's the measure. Before you get carried away as we go on to gifts, always come back. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he Lord? And if he's not, don't claim gifts. He hasn't given you a gift. You're confused. You don't get gifts until you get straight on who Jesus is. You first, and he's the great gift of God, the great gift. That's the gift of all gifts is Christ. What have you done with that gift? Have you come to know him as Lord? Now, he begins to tell us that the Trinity, God gives his people gifts. And notice how he uses the Trinitarian uh, identity. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Who would that be? Jesus Christ. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God and who would that be? 
When, when God is in the print, in most contexts, it's the Father. You've got to look to see, because we're Trinitarian. It could be the Son, it could be the Spirit, but it's God the Father. When there's no identity marker, it's usually the Father. So the Spirit is where your gift came from. The realm of service, God the Son came from Him. The empowerment for the gift, the energy for it, comes from God the Father. So you see that all three members of the Trinity are involved in your spiritual gift. So uh, what are we saying? Uh, notice the definition we give of gift, spiritual gift. It's a divine ability to serve myself. Is it? Oh, I guess maybe Donna corrected it. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, it, it's a divine ability for service in the Elks Lodge, in your garage, where? In the body of Christ that brings glory to the one that's got the gift. Come on, you guys are so weak, it's pitiful. You're not even looking. The whole church ought to be saying, boo, you've been wanting to do this for years. This is your chance. It brings glory to God and edification to the saints. Now, if God gets no glory and no one gets built up, you've got something, but it's not a gift. This gift is given out of God's grace to us. It is not earned by us, but is bestowed by the triune Godhead. Um, when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men, and the Holy Spirit is the distributor of them. We don't have the complete list in chapter 12 of Corinthians. We have Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11. But the gifts come from the Spirit, and then I love this emphasis, the realm of where they are to be used, the kind of service they will render Jesus Christ is accredited as the one that determines our realm of service. Okay, I've got this gift the Spirit gave me. Where am I to use it? Uh, what place? Am I to use it on children, adults? Uh, am I to use it in Africa, in Hercules? Where do I use it? All of that dimension, God the Son knows exactly where in the body he wants to use you. And he said in Ephesians 2 that when we were put in the body, we were like a stone that was fitted into the building. And, and I love that because the word there for fitted is the idea that uh, the grooves, you know, when they built Solomon's temple, there was never the sound of a hammer, a saw, or a chisel. You know why? At the quarry, when they cut those stones out, they were so exacting, they cut grooves so that by the time you got the stones to the temple site, they just clicked together, they fitted together so smoothly, no hammer or chisel was needed. And he uses that word here that God took you and he fitted you right where he wanted you in the body. 
Yeah, I've preached at a lot of different places. One time, I had a prof in school said, you need to start candidating other churches. You've been at Valley so long that uh, you may just be afraid to trust God, and you may be going to seed there. He said, uh, how do you know God still wants you there? I said, well, they, they haven't gotten sick of me yet. A lot of pastors resign over ill health, the congregation's sick of them. And, and so uh, uh, I, I said, what, what is it? Well, some opportunities started coming around, and so I preached at this church, and I preached at that church, and uh, we want you, you ought to come, and, and then I would pray about it and everything. And, and, and his line to me is, you need to put out the sail of your life so that the wind of the Spirit may blow you elsewhere. Just put it, and just, so I put out the sails. <laughs> I'm waiting, Lord. I, all they did was yawn during the sermon. There wasn't enough breath to blow me there. You know what? What's kind of good and good in my heart is he's determined where he makes you fit. He, he, he knows where you fit. And, and he puts you in there, and he knows what he wants to get through with you. That, that's why some of you ought to be nervous. What in the world is God doing with you and through you? Why is it that so often you see in church ministries a bunch of haggard, worn-out, tired, and if they don't watch it, joyless saints like Epaphroditus, nearly about to die to make up for your lack of service, and a bunch of rested critics. Man, they just don't serve you good enough here. Oh, let me smack you in Jesus' name. Oh, I'd love to smack you if God would just empower me as long as you're smaller than me. I, I see it. Those being served and those serving. And uh, my dad used to tell me a mule couldn't pull and kick at the same time. You're pulling or you're kicking usually in church. The workers are the least complainers we have. It's people that like to be served better. But you know what? They're miserable because they're not obeying the Lord. The Lord didn't make you to be in a mothball fleet. He made you to be in service, right? Then he, he said, but, but I don't have the energy. I don't have, whoa. He, he was hoping you'd say that. Because verse 6 says, and the Father provides the energy. He provides the energy, and it's an interesting word. It's a little word. We get our word energe, and we get our word energy, but it, it has a construction that it's emphasizing the effect of the energy. Be like the wind. You can't see it. You know it by its destructive uh, path. You know Hurricane Katrina was powerful because of its effects. When you're able to just do the path it did. So this word here for energy, and God the Father will be all the energy you'll ever need in exercising this gift. There's more energy than you'll ever have to tap. So the Spirit gave the gift. The Son has fitted and determined the realm of service, 
And some of you, you, you're not fitting. You need to figure out the fit. Maybe you're reaching higher and you ought to stoop lower. We take about anybody with the kids. I feel sorry for the kids because they need the best teachers. The adults will gripe enough, they won't put up with a bad teacher long. Poor kids are stuck. Aren't they? Because nobody's in there grading a bad teacher in the children's department. I think some of the best teachers in this church are in the children's department, by the way. So it gets quiet. Let me talk about children's ministry. <laughs> Carolyn says she won't kiss me for a month if I didn't underscore this. <laughs> the Father provides the energy. Have you seen people that, uh, in church work, they want, they want to sign up for lesser and lesser commitments because it just wears them out. You're wore out. What was your shift? I went two weeks. Two weeks. How about a lifetime? How about a lifetime? Where does he say your spiritual gift all of a sudden retires when you get tired? No, no, no. You've been gifted for the rest of your life to contribute a service to the body of Christ if you found where you fit. What a beautiful design of the master builder that placed you in his body at the right point in time with the right gift and with all the energy you'll ever need. If you're not using that gift, it's because you're in sin. It's because you're not acknowledging him as Lord. You're telling him what you'll do with your life. He designed you for service. He designed to enable you. He designed you to make a contribution. Don't let me try to get all the rewards or a bunch of preachers be carried on a pedestal. That won't answer for you when you stand before Jesus. He can say to you, I paid as much for you as I paid for Phil Howard. Why, is, why have I gotten Howard and I haven't gotten you? You've got to answer that question. Sing all day, he is Lord, he is Lord. He's only Lord when you obey him. He's really Lord. You won't change that, but he won't exercise that in your life until you take the role to obey. Now, he begins to list some of the gifts. This will leave you under less conviction so you can enjoy the rest. Uh, these are varieties of gifts. And uh, listen to what he says. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Before I go on, how many believers get a spiritual gift? Are you sure? Can, can you get a gift if you seek for one? I hear muttering. I have heard no answer. How many say no? That's weak. How many say yes if I seek one? Well, I'll tell you the people who say yes, I'll tell you the verse they use. Uh, verse 31, so all you yes people claim this as your life's verse. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Right there, I desire to be an apostle. That's the highest you can get. There's the verse. But we'll find out what it means. Because for him to say that, when four verses, 
Four verses. Now, I want you to circle. You can mark in your Bible. Tim said he grew up. You can never mark. You can mark in a Bible here. It would be refreshing to see some ink in some of your Bibles. Okay? Here's some verses. Verse 7. Verse 11. Verse 18. Verse 26. You got it? 7-11. And we're not throwing dice. 7-11. Watch these verses. Listen. To each is given, each believer, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Well, 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 who who did that? To each is given. Spirit, the Father, the Son, the triune Godhead is given to each member of the body of Christ a spiritual gift. Do you see that in verse 7? How many of you see that? Okay, he said he gave it. Okay. Now, verse 11. Are you there? Okay, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as you seek. Oh, oh, who wills? Who's he? Oh, oh, Holy Spirit. And it's a real strong word for will. It's a... The strongest one for it, like a determination will. Uh, you've each got this place in the body individually as God has willed it. Do you see that? Any doubt so far? Verse 18. But as it is, God, God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Father, arranged the members in the body. Each one of them as he chose. He determined whether you are of the gift of helps, the gift of teaching, gift of evangelism, gift of administration, organization, mercy, apostle, prophet, tongues, interpretation, miracles. I mean, just whatever the gifts, the one who determined which one you get is God. Okay, then look at verse 28. I said 26, but it's 28. And God has appointed in the church, then he says apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts. And he goes on. So all four times, your realm in the body, God determined that Paul would be an apostle. He didn't seek to be an apostle. Christ determined that. So he's determined your spiritual gift is not something you have to seek. It's something he gave. Now, what you need to do is discover it and use it, but you don't have to seek to get one because Peter said each one of us has received a gift, either a speaking gift, serving gift. Use it as God enables you. So you ought to say, thank God there's something in me that God has divinely bestowed an ability to render service in God's strength and for the glory of God, I think that's exciting. It's more than just giving an offering. You've been designed for service. You've been designed for service, not just to stay awake during sermons and give once in a while. No, no, he's got a ministry he wants to do through you. That's great. Now, let's kind of, let me do a, 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 next week we're going to hand out a pamphlet for you uh, on spiritual gifts that we did some time ago, and it's going to take them a while to produce all of them. 
and we'll have, uh, I said 100, maybe we may do 200, and uh, uh, since it's red ink, we have to charge you because Ron Hughes makes us pay for colored ink. So uh, you'll love that, Rich. Uh, now, now look at these gifts. Uh, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. What in the world is that? And to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Now, let me tell you, uh, does God give wisdom to those who ask? Okay, James 1 says that. Now, here's where the different views are. Uh, I, I don't know that I ever knew what this was, but I finally was with a camp of guys that said, this is probably revelatory wisdom that you couldn't get from Proverbs, you couldn't get it by asking. It seems to be a revelatory kind of wisdom and almost would make it like prophetic. Well, if it's that kind of wisdom, uh, those of that camp would say that had to cease because we don't think God gives revelation today equal to Scripture. Okay, that's one view. Others would take it to be uh, divinely designed in the body to understand, he uses this in 1 Corinthians 13, to understand mysteries. Uh, knowledge and mysteries uh, and wisdom kind of go together. So divine insight beyond the norm. Uh, so uh, we're not exactly sure. Was it a revelatory wisdom? Or was it a special gift to see into difficulties, difficult mysteries, maybe of the faith that were revealed that we should all know now? Was it special insight over and beyond the norm? I'm not exactly sure. I've, I've understood it to be revelatory, but the more I read, the more confused I get because all kinds of good men all over. It's the definition of these gifts that keep people uh, uh, you'll find out as we go along that, that land in different camps. If this is just special wisdom beyond the ordinary that's not revelatory, why wouldn't we have it? We sure need it. We need a ton of it. Uh, I'm just waiting to meet someone with it. Go right along. Uh, and... Uh, the, see, you're all getting, oh, I, I, we've got the gift. Now we don't know anybody with it. Uh, well, uh, another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. If it's revelatory knowledge, it would be uh, the early churches without the church epistles didn't know what to do in certain circumstances, and God gave them these kind of people, gave them local prophets in their churches that would give Give direction for the church before we get the church epistles. How do you run a New Testament church until you get the New Testament epistles? How, how do they handle church discipline? They didn't have any guidelines. They didn't know what, the Gospels weren't written until after 1 Corinthians and Thessalonians. They were later. Where do we get any information in the meantime? Uh, so some would argue these were probably temporary gifts that God gave supernatural knowledge in the kicking off of the church. If it's just, it's not regular knowledge, most knowledge is gained by study, hard work, perspiration, right? Uh, some people could discover they've got a real gift of knowledge if they'd ever read anything. You, you double. If you just turn off TV and read a good book 
And you'd all of a sudden think, oh, I've got the gift. No, you've got the perspiration. You're as dumb as you want to be, and you can know about as much as you want to know. Can I get an amen? How much do you want to know? I, I, I don't know. I talk to people all the time that don't read a book a decade. And if it's not in the paper, it's not true. I keep taking Contra Costa Times just to make a donation. There's so little information. I, and the old bits at least keep me up to date. Um, to another, the gift of faith by the same Spirit. Now, what kind of faith is this? It's not the faith to be saved. Everybody got that gift that's saved, right? He gives us faith. It's not given to you not only to suffer for him, but to believe on his name. So God gave us the faith to receive Christ. This faith is probably mountain-moving kind of faith that he mentions in 1 Corinthians 13. It could be tied to miracles. could talk about over and above supernatural things. Because you've got in the Gospels Christ saying, if you've got faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed. And I take that to be to all believers but there obviously were people he gave this gift in the church that could believe God for things over and above the ordinary and must have been a marvelous thing. He gave those who had gifts of healing uh, by the one spirit. Now, uh, we, uh, let me ask you this. Does God still heal people today? Yes. Absolutely. James 5 says, call for the elders, pray for someone, and the prayer of faith can raise them up. We believe in divine healing. What we, I don't believe in is divine healers. Because it's interesting, they had people, it's plural, didn't it say, and he gave healers? No, he, he gave people through which gifts of healing were done by the Spirit, but not everybody got healed in the New Testament. Timothy, you're, you're probably having dysentery. Take a little wine. Uh, the, the water in Asia Minor is bad. Take a little wine. Epaphroditus is sick near unto death. Uh, different ones, not everybody got healed. Even Peter's mother-in-law can get a fever. And Jesus healed a lot of people. The apostles healed some throughout Acts, and we have great manifestations of power, but how long does it go? How long does it go? And this is what I say to people anymore after, oh, differing views. If you've got it, use it. If God uses you to heal people, man, don't let me talk you out of it. Do it. Amen? Just do it. But I don't think this uh, marketing and uh, bringing people and walking through lines in the thousands was the design he had in local churches of maybe 70 people where somebody was in the assembly that had the gift. And, and you didn't have to go to a big meeting. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it, it's been marketed so much, but genuine healing, uh, God gave people in the body of Christ. Now, I've never known uh, in my growing up of anyone in our church that we felt had the gift of healing. I don't think, 
Uh, I've been through Oral Roberts' prayer line about two or three times, had bad legs. And my father, the first time, carried me through in a quilt in 1952 in Oakland. So my folks believed in divine. See, I was told I'd never walk. Uh, they told my mother that when I was seven. And they put me in crippled children's fund. Said I'd never talk because I was paralyzed and I became a lisper. Uh, had all kinds of afflictions. And my people being Pentecostal, they, they would take me to everybody in town that could pray the prayer of faith as far as they were concerned. Well, um, no one prayer that I know of ever uh, healed me. But I'll say this. I walked to church today. And uh, I got a prosthesis, eight bolts, and 80 cavities. But somehow God got me through with medicine, prayer, but no one did a miraculous healing of me. But my folks kept knocking on the door, hoping it would happen. Do I make fun of people that believe it so strong that they bang? I had an uncle that died because he wouldn't go to a doctor and died of cancer that they could have caught early because he believed in divine healing so strong. So you'd be all over. They had people in the church that God had given. He would raise up. If he was going to heal someone, he probably did it through that brother or sister, and they would pray, and God did the healing. Oh, I've got to stop. Give me five more minutes. Uh, and they get healed. In our own family, it's probably your own family, We've got stories of different people being healed. And the miracle of the healing was my mother prayed the prayer, and she was no Oral Roberts. She's just a little weak Irishman that was praying for her kids. She never let anyone pray for his kids if they talked in tongues. She said, I want to hear what you're asking. Cut it out. Make it English. And we were Pentecostals. I want English. I want to know what you ask God to do for my kid. And so we got all kinds of healing stories, but it was not someone that we went to. It was a simple prayer of praying parents, simple saints of the church, anoint us with oil, and God in his sovereignty can heal whoever he wants through whatever tool he wants. But they actually had people in the early church for sure that were known, they were the ones God seemed to heal people when they prayed the prayer. Marvelous gift. If you've got it, use it. Don't argue with me about whether you got it. Uh, working of miracles, demonstrations of great power. Uh, to another prophecy. Oh, my. You ought to hear the guys on this. We, they, so nobody knows what it means anymore. Uh, you read men like Wayne Grudem and different ones. Uh, let me say the views on prophecy. John MacArthur and them, they make prophecy. They say that predictive prophecy in this term in the New Testament didn't begin till the Middle Ages. Blew me away as I, I read that. That it was uh, revelatory or reiteration is how they define it. They either got something from God or they were preaching something that God had revealed. So that comes real close to being a preacher, preaching what's been revealed. I'm a prophet in that sense. I preach what's been revealed. I'm reiterating it. So start calling me a prophet, okay? I want a little bit more honor. 
Uh, preacher sounds shabby. I'm a prophet in that sense. Uh, I've understood prophecy to be getting direct revelation from God. And, uh, but they argue the Old Testament, many Old Testament prophets never wrote a book. They just prophesied to Israel, faded off the scene. Uh, it didn't become binding revelation. Okay. Uh, so there's one group that would make it a direct word from God. I, I fled prophecy groups because I understood it to be claiming direct revelation from God, and I became convinced no word of man today can be equal to Scripture. No word of any man that this is I'm for sure about. And all men, all preachers, all teaching is weighed by one authority right here. This is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Right here, we got it. So anything you would say, a Gruden would say, uh, you can be fallible in prophecy, and he would make it almost what I would understand, words of exhortation energized by God. Well, if it's that, uh, wonderful. I, I hope we still have it. So you see, it's how you define the gifts that determines if you're in a group that says, I think they ceased, or those that I think they're still today. It's the definition. And just pick your favorite theologian, and you can land in any camp you want. Uh, but I took these things to be highly revelatory in the kicking off of the church, so I became known as a guy that says, many of these cease, like apostle. I'm not sure I've ever seen these operate in the church where brother so-and-so's got the gift of wisdom, sister so-and-so's got the gift of knowledge, brother so-and-so, God does healings to him all the time. I, I don't know where they're identified, but I'm also trying to find folks that's got the gift of mercy and the gift of giving. I really want to know where they are. Raise your hand if you've got that gift. We look, I'd like to see you after the service. Uh, because so many, and I will hush right there, and just, uh, uh, this is a crash landing since I'm out of time. Uh, I, I think of uh, my concern as I look through this area is the Lordship of Christ. And I, I tell you the story of Oliver Cromwell that during his uh, ascendancy and takeover of the British throne, that they ran out of money uh, for uh, silver coins and so he told his men to go through the empire and find silver. Well, they went to a cathedral in London and found all kinds of statues made of silver. And they came to him and said, the only silver we could find was down here at the cathedral and all of these statues. And he came back. He said, good. We'll melt down the saints and put them into circulation. And so they took all the statutes, melted them, and made coin. What I love for God to do is to melt you that aren't in circulation and get you in circulation for the cause of Christ. 